This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to this week's No Never podcast. I'm Jamie Smith and joining me this week to discuss the 2-0 home defeat to Preston in the Lancashire Derby at Turf Moor are Kevin, James and Natalie. Um, pretty horrible conditions at the turf on Saturday, James, and a performance to match from the Corrots. Yeah, it, it really wasn't a good one. I think the um, the conditions on the day you know, worked against both teams and, and made it so that we didn't really get to see uh, much in the way of quality football from either side. I think in particular the the chance that fell to Joey Barton. I think if you're giving that on a day where it's not uh, torrential horizontal rain, um, he might put it away because um, I think those types of you know side foot efforts are probably best avoided in um, monsoons. Despite the the disappointment with the result and the performance, Kevin Burnley actually started really well and could have had two or three goals in the first few minutes. Uh, definitely, yeah. I think all all season, James has uh, told us that he's been putting a bet, a bet on for for Gray to get his hat trick. Brought finally. me and Natalie into it the weekend. Cost us both fiver. Well, yeah. I think after after eight minutes, I was convinced he was going to get it because I think he'd had he'd had three chances himself in the first eight minutes, and there'd been a couple more. And um, the football wasn't the prettiest um, because of the conditions. That I don't think you were, you were going to see any team uh, playing pretty football. Um, but we were creating chance after chance after chance, and um, it, it really didn't look like it was going to be a bit of a rout in the end. But then, I don't know. I've, I've never seen a Sean Dash team with so little belief and confidence, and I, I'm not sure if uh, missing so many chances in the first ten minutes kind of dented their confidence a little bit. But um, I think as the game went on, we we, we looked less and less um, like we believed we can score and, and, and get the win. Um, whereas Preston probably grew in confidence a little bit. Uh, and that was the story of the game, really, um, uh, for me. Um, and yeah, hopefully we can we can pick up and go again. But it's it's concern that we're, we we lost belief so early. I think, um, particularly having not won um, in a little while now. Hopefully, Sean Dice can get the, the the team back back up. It was very strange because I think the, the first ten minutes so was probably as well as we played all season, but. Confidence and belief just seemed to go after that. I can't pinpoint exactly what it was or when it started to go wrong, but the rest of the match was really quite poor. Um, Natalie, you're always worried about coming across too negative on the podcast, but I suppose it's difficult to be too positive about that one. Yeah, I think so. Um, It really wasn't the greatest performance by any stretch of the imagination. And there were a lot of um, 
really worrying signs. I agree with Kev. I think there was um, a belief problem. They just they looked like a complete shadow of the former selves. And there, there were elements of that to the game as well on Cardiff the week before. And I, 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 I agree with Kev. I'm not really sure we can pinpoint exactly what's gone on, but there, there does seem to be a bit of a mental block going on. And I don't, I don't know what it is. It's it's really hard to 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 guess what's going on, really. Especially after last week we talked on the podcast about the two late goals at Cardiff and how that was going to give the team confidence and we couldn't have been more wrong about that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and, and again, like, how did they start the game so positively? And I, I turned to my dad about five or six minutes in and I said to him, so it's, this, this actually might be my fault actually why we got beat, but I turned around and I said to him, I said, this is the game, this is the one where we're going to score an absolute bag full and we're going to run all over them. And, and it then just for no reason whatsoever and with no trigger it seemed they just completely fell to pieces and the rest of the game was was probably one of the poorest performances we've seen in a long time I think we can all take some responsibility for, for us not scoring after putting money on the, the green yeah. but, it's um, Ben's fault you jinxed us <laughs> Well, James, James can take full responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guilt free, by the way. I, d- I didn't do any of that. So <laughs> James has already mentioned the chance that came to Barton midway through the first half, Kevin. But that was probably our clearest opening. And Andre Gray, he, he refused to square the ball when Barton was in so much space and almost waited until it was too late. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if he, he didn't see him early enough, or if he, or if he didn't, I mean, have... he didn't have to see him. Barton was screaming for the ball. Yeah, I don't know if it was confidence in the if it was affected by the by the weather and the wind because you know whether he thought he could get it over well enough. Um, I mean, the the ball was going all over the place all throughout the match. You, you know, I'm sure there's a, a couple of occasions actually where the ball went up and then came back on itself um, by the wind. So um, you know, when you're going to be flicking the, the ball across, maybe that's going to play a part in that. But I think it was just again that that that, that belief issue. Um, because there was no way Gray was going to go alone. I don't think he was going to get it across to Barton at some point. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, it was he. He'd got it over earlier, uh, providing the wind hadn't had too much effects on it. Then I think we probably would have scored because Barton was in the acres of space, and even with some effect from the wind, it was it was going to get to him some way or another. Uh, Might have been perfect, but it would have got the, to him. I thought he could have put it in on the ground. To be honest, just behind the defender, yeah. although the wind would have necessarily had any impact. Um, James, we can probably count the, the number of mistakes Tom Heaton's made on, on one hand. There was the one against Swansea last season where he managed to knee the ball into his own net, but um, should he have done better with the first Preston goal? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. It's, I think it's hard to, to pin any blame with, with Tom Heaton. Um, for me, I think the only the only real blame I'd... And, you know, initially I was applying to anyone for me with the goals, I think it was from the second, um, because... Michael Duff's man just gets away from him far too easy and I think once he's past Michael Duff then you know it's inevitable that they're going to score there Speaking of Duff I, I read a couple of comments on Twitter the usual knee-jerk stuff after any defeat someone said that you should retire immediately which is obviously ridiculous but it, it's a little while since we've kept a clean sheet Natalie and there's certainly a, a couple of concerns sneaking in and Duff's going to be 38 in January there's got to be a, a bit of a question mark there 
that's a, a justified question mark, to be honest. It's it's something that I meant to mention last week, um, and we just didn't get around to it. Um, I certainly don't share the the knee jerk reaction that he has to retire. I think he's he's more than capable of performing, you know, well um, in a promotion chasing side in this division. Saying that. Certainly last week and elements of this week as well against both Cardiff and Preston, he did he did make mistakes and he did show signs of wobbling, which is quite uncharacteristic for him. You know, he wasn't quite the Mr. Reliable that we thought he did. Now, if you add that sort of mini wobble that he's having and the consistent rumours that we're going to lose Keane in January to the clubs that are sort of hovering around him you've got to start thinking ahead and think you know is our defense which has started to look a little bit vulnerable actually going to completely collapse in January and we're going to have to start again um so I think I wonder whether it's it's a combination of things that are making people question our defense and certainly uh, Michael Duff's role in that well, the rumour was that a deal had been done for, for Nathan Baker from Villa and then he changed his mind at the last minute, but there's certainly a lack of specialist cover. We all know Ben Mee could play inside if necessary, but there was, there was a bit of a concern over Michael Keane in the warm-up. I think he got a bit of a whack from Sam Volks, and we are vulnerable, as Natalie says, in defence, Kevin. What, what do you think happened for the goals? Um, well, I think I think of a back, the issues are, are, are... The more you think about it, the more issues pop up. Um, I think... Michael Duff could be playing in the, in the form of his life. He could be, you know, absolutely outstanding form. But the fact remains that we've got two, we've got essentially two fit centre backs. Um, assuming Mike, uh, Ben Mee's going to continue, uh, continue on the left. And you know, like you said, Michael Duff, he, you know, he he seems very fit. He, he seems Duff, he made a, made, a, made a couple of mistakes um, the last couple of games, but I think overall this season he's been playing well and he's and he's fit. But like I said, he is he is getting on and he's, he's at the age where, regardless of how fit he is, he's always going to be at a higher risk of picking up an injury. Um, plus, on the back of that, you know, um, with no one who really to come in behind him, I know Kev uh, Kev Long's coming back, but he, I'm not sure he'd be wanting him to start straight away at this point. Um, you know, Dash hasn't really got the opportunity to rest him uh, without changing things throughout the rest of the team. Plus, there's also a competition issue. You know, players are going to f- going to play a bit better. You expect when we've got someone you know who's chomping at the bit to come in, in and replace them. Um, I think we always always saw that with Brian Jensen in particular. That he, I think he was always much better when he had a strong competition behind him. Um, but if we've got players who are not performing at the best, is what what's the incentive to to pick up that form again, uh, if there's nobody, if you've got little risk of being uh, being replaced in the team, I think that's a big concern. Um, and yeah, yeah, Natalie said then there's potential that if if Michael Duff picks up an injury or has a significant drop in form and we lose Keane in in January, we've lost our entire um, our, our, our entire defence um, at the middle, which is, which is a big concern. Uh, but yeah, I've not got huge concerns over Michael Duff's form at the moment, but I think the whole defensive situation um, is an ongoing concern. I, th- I think we all hope that we'll, we'll resist any attempt to, to take Keane away um, in January, especially if promotion's looking on the cards. But I was I was still a bit surprised that we didn't try and sign a defender on loan. I suppose the, the difficulty is that you've got to find someone happy to, to come and be cover, but still be good enough to 
to have an impact and, and not have too much of a drop off in quality if they are required and there aren't a lot of clubs willing to let players go and sit on the bench somewhere else there aren't a lot of players willing to go and do that so it's difficult to get players in in those situations but I just feel we were tempting fate a little bit like we did in January with the midfield situation and of course Dean Marnie went out and knackered his knee about five minutes after the transfer window closed so we are running a little bit of a risk in there. Um, on the subject of defenders, James, we got a little bit of a look at Matt Lawton on Saturday. Um, a bit of a strange substitution, maybe Lawton and Kiteley coming on in the circumstances when we were losing in a derby at home, but did you see anything in his cameo to suggest he's got a chance of replacing Dericka inside? I know you're a big fan of, of Tendai Dericka. I, I, I can't understand that substitution at all. Um, I'm really not sure why, you know, chasing the game, the, the change we went for was that one. Um, I mean, I, I don't think we really got much chance to, to look at him, but he, you know, he, he looks good enough, but I'd, I'd really wouldn't want to judge him from uh, coming on in a game that was a bit of a, a bath, really, on, on grass. Um and especially when we we're already two down, though I did think Michael Cartley actually came on and, and looked impressive, considering the conditions you're asking him to play in. Um, you know, he looked like he wanted to try and get past someone, which I think is something um, we've been missing lately with with the way George Boyd's played so far this season. Was it a surprise that having gone to no down at Cardiff, the game previously, and Hennings and Marnie came on and had an impact, and Hennings scored a goal and changed the game? Was it surprised that, that Dash didn't just go for the same again? I, I was really shocked that um, that Martin didn't come on for Barton because obviously Barton was lucky to to stay on the pitch, and I think that mainly comes down to you know the referee. I think made a mistake um, not sending a pressing player off, and I think he realised that he couldn't then send Barton off for a, a, a largely similar second book of offence. Um, but I'm surprised that Dash didn't take that opportunity to make the change because obviously there was a risk there that Barton could get sent off. He'd had a booking, he'd had a, a final warning, and you know one more travelling joy, trying to slide and, and bot the ball could have been him uh, making his way to the changing rooms. Okay, I want to come on to the referee in, in detail next, but Natalie, I want to come back to the, the first goal. James, James fudged his answer a little bit. Do you think Eaton made a mistake? It seems to go through him, but. I suppose the circumstances, the conditions, maybe made goalkeeping trickier than normal. Um, oh, uh, I didn't, I didn't think at the time. Uh, you know, I wasn't screaming at him, and I wasn't sort of, you know, having a go and, and wondering what he was doing. Um, I can't, and I, I actually, to be honest with you, I haven't, I haven't dared bring myself to watch any of the highlights back because I just, I don't want to put myself through that torture again. Um, Heaton doesn't actually wear Heaton doesn't make mistakes very often so I wonder whether we're either judging him by a higher standard and maybe looking for an excuse and looking for um, a mistake or an error that we that you know maybe wasn't there or actually you know the conditions disguise the fact that he should have done better Um, to be honest with you I, I don't think that he made a mistake but I'm not I'm not a professional footballer and I'm not a professional goalkeeper, so I probably don't have an awful lot of 
authority on that point, I'm afraid. Fair enough. Well, none of us are professional goalkeepers, but we can no, true. <laughs> assess true. what we see. Um, to come back to the referee then, Kevin, there are a couple of, of big calls. James already touched on. Um, Barton, who was perhaps a little bit lucky to stay on. Preston's right back was very lucky not to be sent off for a second yellow when he um, took Ben Mee out. There was also one that I thought was, was appalling, to be honest, Cunningham on Barton. It was a 50-50, but Cunningham goes in with his elbow and, and really whacked Barton. I thought that was disgraceful. Um, what, what were your view on some of those big decisions? Um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't see the, de- the instance in, in, in too much detail. I think they were all um, over under the pitch to me. And to be honest, like Natalie, I've, I think there's, there were very few things. I'd, I'd, well, essentially, I've I'd, I'd no interest at all in re-watching any of the match again uh, to have a look at them a bit closer up. Um, although, I, I think I looked at the stats before the game and Kevin Friend seemed to have uh, be a little bit card-happy. Um, and particularly in a derby game like this, I was expecting to see quite a few yellows and maybe a couple of reds. Uh, but actually, I think it was the opposite. I think he was very reluctant to show any cards or or, or blow up or, or do anything, really. He seemed to want to um, do as little as, po- <laughs> little as possible. Maybe he just wanted to get a match over with, um, like like we did. But yeah, I, I, he, he, I think he seemed had a little bit of lack of control. Um, I think Barton in particular looked very frustrated throughout the match. Him. I think he was flabbergasted that there was no card given. Um, on a couple of occasions and and um, yeah that, that control didn't seem to be there and perhaps if he's I think the problem is like 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 you mentioned earlier that if he's shown a card earlier on in the match when he should have done uh, it might have been a different game but when he's when he's, he's waved away a claim which should have been a yellow card or, or even more earlier on it's difficult for him to then go and and do the same for a very, very similar challenge later on um, I think those couple of mistakes early on really defined his game um, and after that, he had pretty much no control, I don't think. Okay, fair enough. Um, sticking on Barton, James, is it fair to say that was his worst performance for Burnley? He just seems to be something not quite right with him. Um, yeah, I'd say so. Um, at the same time, I wouldn't say he was he was awful. You know, um, apart from maybe nearly getting sent off, I, I don't think he did an awful lot wrong. Obviously, he did miss the chance as well, but... Um, I think part of that was down to the, the conditions rather than, uh, you know, him anything on his actual technique. Um, but he just didn't seem to have the impact he normally does. And um, I think Preston's, uh, you know, two central midfielders played a really good game. They they really ran the middle of the park. And um, I think once Gallagher had settled into the game, then it, it looked like it was going to be a difficult day for us in the middle. Um which, you know, as we said, the first ten minutes we, we you know, we looked decent. I wouldn't say it was our best start to a game of the season, like um, everyone else seems to. Um, but uh, I think once Gallagher got into the game, then it, it looked like it was going to be a, a, a tough fifty-fifty game, and I think it was that until until they scored. And um, if if Barton had been been on his game, um, I think it would have been a, a different result. To be honest, I, I thought Preston. Probably deserved to win overall. Obviously, they took their chances, but I did think they were particularly physical. I don't think they're the first team we've played who've who've come with a game plan to to stop us playing, and we're going to see that a lot at home, in particular when we are seen as favourites and expected to go on and win. But I, I felt like they were. Multi used the word dirty, but at times I think they were quite cynical. I had a lot of angry Preston fans calling me bitter when I put this opinion forward on 
on Twitter, but it, they're tactics work, didn't they, Natalie? You, you can't really complain about the result at the end of the day. Preston deserves to win. Yeah, as painful as it is to admit it, it's, uh, you know, they they did the homework, they set up their team perfectly to, well, they knew exactly how we were going to play, unfortunately. Well, we play the same way every week, don't exactly, we? Exactly, you know. You don't need to scout Burnley. Yeah, no, exactly. They just need to watch, you know, not very not very many highlights. And, then you know, they knew exactly how we were going to play. They set their team up perfectly to counteract that. And we had absolutely zero answers for them. And, to be fair, they were a lot better than I thought they were going to be. Um, I've seen them play a couple of times this season and I think they had a very poor start to the season, um, you know, finding their feet again in a very different championship to the one that they left. Um, I think they've settled in now and I genuinely don't think they're going to be in a relegation fight come the end of the season. I think they'll stay up in the end quite comfortably and, you know, they, they, they did well. Um, I think they need... I think they could do with um, finding a few more goals in their team if they are going to um, not get drawn back into the relegation battle. Um, but overall, yeah, they, you, you can't complain with the results. Oh, yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Preston were, was certainly better than I was, expect- I was expecting. We talked on the podcast last week and I think we were all predicting quite a comfortable Burnley win. Um There'd be a lot of talk in the wake of, of any defeat about team selection, and one player um, a lot of fans want to see in the team is, is Dean Marnie, of course. Would you expect him to be in, in the running for coming into the side for the QPR game, James? Um, yeah, I, I, I think um, you know a, a third defeat of the season could be the, the catalyst for a little bit of a change to the, to the side, a little bit of change in... Um, approach to the game, and I think Dean Morney could be the one. I, I'm I'm not sure what what the change actually would be. I think it is hard to to drop Jones. Um, though obviously, I think there's a subsection of uh, the fan base that would say he should have probably been sold like two years ago. I, I always think that's a that's a clear sign of whether someone's opinion is worth listening to, whether or not they're right, <laughs> Dave Jones. Yeah, or you know, when they when they jeer when he passes forward, as if it's, you know, <laughs> as if it's something that he can't do. Um, but I, I Jones do. actually has, has got more assists than, than anyone in the team. Obviously, he was taking set pieces when we were scoring from them um, every week at the start of the season. But yeah, Dave Jones has four assists more than anyone else. Yeah, that's a stat I, for you. So I think it is hard to drop Jones. Obviously, it's hard to drop Bottom because until now we've got very you know. We've not really looked like losing the game while he's been inside. So, um, but I would. But on on the flip side, I'd be very very interested to see whether Barton and Marnie together could work. Um, because I think if you know if it did, that could be quite formidable midfield too. But it's, it's a decision I'm glad I'm not making. It's 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 a good problem to have. It's better to have competition and good players on the bench rather than the alternative. But it's it's something that Dash is going to have to make his mind up sooner rather than later, Natalie, isn't it? Is, is there a chance that he could play all three and maybe rethink the formation, or is that just wishful thinking to to want to see something different than four four two every week? Well, the, that was exactly what I was going to suggest. Actually, when we uh, we started talking about this, 
in an ideal world, um, especially especially at the moment in that the current system doesn't seem to be working. It seems to be to have been figured out by um, opposing teams quite comfortably, um, and we don't have any other, um, you know options you know we just we stick to the same um formation and when he makes his substitutions he just swaps like for like and i don't really understand how he, you know sometimes he thinks that's going to work um yeah could we go four five one maybe especially with now the reason why i suggest this initially is that i thought on saturday um Vokes had a, a really poor game he's obviously well off the mark um at the moment in terms of pace um, is not fit, is not sharp at all. Um, and as much as I'd like to see him on the pitch, I, I can't believe he lasted 90 minutes on Saturday. It baffled me how he didn't get taken off. So if that's if the goals aren't working for us, but we are starting to leak goals again, you know, why don't we go with, with you know, pack that midfield? Because midfield on Saturday just got absolutely carved through with ease. Um, yeah, well, let's try it. I, I can't imagine that he will. Um, you know, Dyche doesn't like to to move away from his four four two very often, does he? But um, yeah, I'd give it a go. Why not? I'd love to see Jones, Marnie, and Barton in the centre midfield. I think that'd be awesome. It's it's difficult to talk about this without coming across as Nijo, but it's it's funny how how one result can change how 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 the form works. I mean, I think we're unbeaten in nine going into the the Preston match, but now we're winless in is it four? So yeah, it's it's not necessarily Nijo. The form has been a little bit patchy. Performances haven't been great all season, if we're honest. So maybe there is something to to look at there. Yeah, I think so. So we've been saying all season that. You know, we've we've been playing rubbish and just picking up wins, and you know we were almost a little bit flippant about it, saying that, um, you know we, you know we we can play rubbish and still win, and that's what championship sides do. But our luck was always going to run out, and it has done now. Um, teams have figured us out pretty quickly, and we we need to we need to either improve significantly and start getting those performances in, or we need to rethink tactics quite quickly. James, we've, we've, we've done this on the podcast before and it's a bit of a flight's fancy to suggest alternatives to 4 4 2, but with Marnie on the bench, he's, he's, he's got to come back into the side at some point. And as you've already said, Jones, Barton, it's difficult to drop them. So do we have to think about a change of, of, of tack, especially given that there's maybe a bit of a danger that teams have worked out a bit? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Um, I mean, if you were to do that, I think there's only really one choice in in my opinion and that's um you you drop the second striker for for, for the third midfielder and um you probably drop um our field as well for for someone like Carly because I think if you're gonna play three in the middle you, you need two out and out wide men rather than um the midfielder slash wide man that that our field more is who has more of a tendency to come in because you don't want to, to obviously congest the middle too much when you've already got three central midfielders working in there. That that would be quite unfair though, wouldn't it, given that most people would say he's outperformed Boyd in particular this season. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But would, uh, would mean, you I, not be able to maybe play Grey out wide? He's certainly got the pace to, to play out there and his crossing ooh, seems okay. Oh Jamie. Obviously, it's yeah. controversial, but you've, you've got a guy who could score thirty goals a season, and you're going to put him on the wing. You can still score goals from the wing. Less. This is like this is this is classic Burnley folly, though, isn't it? 
We've got a striker who's kind of quick. Let's try and wing first. That's, uh, that's, that's... See Carl Lafferty, Jay Rodriguez. <laughs> Martin Patterson, Ian Moore, etc. Et I think yeah. it's fair. I'm just, I'm just trying to come up with ways to, to get it to work. Because I think if you are going to play 4-3-3, I don't think Gray is an ideal striker to play in that shape. And obviously you don't change the formation and drop under a Gray. You've got to fit him in somehow. I just think if you're going to play 4-3-3, and we are quite direct, Sam Volts would have to be the central one. Mm. Mm. I, I don't feel uh, like Sam Volks is scoring enough at the moment. That yeah, wanna, I completely agree. You can't, you can't leave do that. Volks as our number one strike in that um, setup. He, we just wouldn't score any goal. We yeah. just, yeah, he's not, he's if not match fit at all. If, if you're talking about someone, you know, Andy Gray in his, his Burnley prime, um, before he saw money signs and left. He was like a play up front style player, um, and I'm struggling to maybe think of any. Oh, Gareth Taylor, I reckon you could probably do it with, but that's only because he could head, couldn't he? So um, I, I think I think Gray could play up front by himself. I, I think he's got the skill set. My my concern would be that the way we play, um, I, I don't think he'd win enough in the air, and I don't think we'd necessarily adapt to. The sort of the sort of balls that he wants. I think if we're playing five in the midfield, I'd, I'd hope we'd play a little bit differently. Otherwise, you're bypassing half the players on the pitch, aren't you? If you uh, you'd think so. Just go direct. Because at least when you've got two up front, if you go direct, your your hope is that one striker takes it down and passes it to the other striker or passes it to a winger. Um, if you do that with five in midfield, then you're just hoping that someone gets to him before he gets crippled by. Both centre halves. Another option, this will be will be very radical, but it has been suggested in the past, would be to maybe go three at the back and um, get more midfielders into the game that way. Obviously, we are not massively blessed with centre backs, but Ben Meeker plays a third centre back. Then you could have maybe Dariqua and Ward or Lawton and Ward as wing backs. Again, Natalie, this is something that obviously we're not going to see, but. There are options within the squad if Dash did want to turn away from four four two. Yeah, if we go back to what we were talking about not so long ago, we might not have an option in January if we lose half of our defence. We might have to go three at the back. Um, but I, yeah, I'd, something has to change. I think at the moment, unless the formation that he's playing and the players that he's choosing to have is his starting eleven, unless they absolutely up their game and start playing properly and start playing to the best of their ability and actually put some like top performances in then he's got to look at a plan b of changing the formation it's just if that happens it feels like we're going backwards and it feels like we're starting from scratch again and i i think this feels then that we are a long 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 way off a promotion side uh, whether that be through the playoffs which is looking increasingly likely now um I, I just I don't understand how we're having to discuss these quite dramatic changes when we're not yet at Christmas. I think it's it's a, a response to to performances that haven't quite been there. Obviously, before the last couple of weeks, results were still there, and we said week after week on the podcast we're not playing as well as we know we can, but we're getting results, so we can't be too critical. Um, I'm I'm wary of coming across extremely negative now, but results haven't been there in the last month or so, 
and performances haven't been there. So I think it's fair to suggest changes at this stage. Um, QPR next then, James, a trip back to Loftus Road. They obviously got relegated with us last season. They'll have a new manager in charge, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbanks, taking over after leaving Burton. And of course, one familiar face, Charlie Austin, who's coming back from injury. I suppose he's going to be the main threat that we have to look out for, but at least we know all about him. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, that that's probably the the team in this league that I'd say if there's someone you'd be worried about playing our defence, I'd, I'd definitely say QPR and Charlie Austin. Um, you know, obviously I, I think Andre Gray is pretty good. He's, he's probably one of the best strikers in the league, but I think Charlie Austin's by far and away the best. And, uh, you know, it's absolutely obscene that he's, he's still playing his trade with QPR and, you know, I think if QPR are going to do well this season, then Charlie Austin's probably central to that. So um, it's going to be interesting to to see. And you know, Michael Duff has had a few little mistakes creep into his game, and I think obviously Charlie Austin will, will know the way he plays, and he'll probably be looking to take advantage of that. Austin is just back from injury. Obviously, we know that he he does have injuries more than than some strikers. Maybe let's say um, it's going to be fascinating to see if Hasselbank can add anything new to his game isn't it now if you're gonna if you're a striker you want a manager who, who plays your position I suppose and Hasselbein was one of the best Premier League strikers around I suppose Austin is is obviously QPR's main threat um but I think Burnley fans still have a bit of a soft spot for him don't they despite the way he left yeah absolutely um I think I think we were expecting him to leave when he did um I think I think there would have been a lot less aggro about him going if he'd have signed for um was it it was Hull, wasn't it, when he ended up failing the medical and Bruce yeah, shut his mouth off. Bruce said yeah. he had a bad yeah, knee. And, and he did the celebration where it was pretending <laughs> yeah. to be not mad. Yeah. Um so I think I think if if that move would have you know come off straight away and would have got uh, the money from that, I think then people would have just not really bothered and been like, Yeah, we expected him to go. Um there is paper talk at the moment I think it came from the Ian Dowie article that suggested that Burnley should use the Ings money to spend the whole lot of it in bringing Austin back to um, Turf Moor in January apparently great idea but we already spent the Danny Ings money on on Um, (laughs) not spend it twice (laughs) unless we get about 20 million for Danny Ings I don't think that's really much of a (laughs) it is uh, but as as much as we have a soft spot for him I'm, I'm not entirely sure that that's the right move and I don't think he would come back anyway but I'm not entirely sure that that's, that's the right move but yeah I think uh, I think he's one of those players is Charlie that people will have a soft spot for until he scores like 45 goals past us on Saturday actually forgive my ignorance but is he back is he last time I heard he was injured again is he back now will he, he be playing came off the bench on Friday night when so we'll they expect to see him. got a jammy late goal so I'd reckon he'd be in contention he'd still be on the bench um, he scored against us last season, of course, James. He's in a strange situation this year in that he's made it clear he's going to go at the end of his contract. So he, he's playing to impress clubs in the Premier League who, as you say, bafflingly re- refused to pay um, the £15 million, I think it was, asking price. So similar situation in a way to Danny Ings, but he's taken the unusual step of, of announcing, in effect, that he is going at the end of the season. Yeah, no, but I... It really is a shock that he, he didn't leave, didn't he? So, in some ways... It's I can't get my head around com- <laughs> Months later, I can't get my head around it. Some yeah, of the strikers that Premier League gold bought and Charlie Austin still playing in the Championship. It, it, he's, he's, he's basically guaranteed goals. 
You know, he's just yeah. He basically can't. I, I don't know how you don't buy him if you're a Premier League side. Even a top half side, I think could could take. Um, yeah, it's just beyond comprehension, isn't it? Really. Um, when you look at some of the players that got signed in the Premier League and some of the players that are linked with the Premier League, and then Charlie Austin wasn't picked up. It's I, I don't know, and he probably wouldn't have taken a, a huge amount to get him away from QPR because they sort of seem inept with money so they probably would have you know sold him for half of what you he probably is worth considering the, the market at the moment because I mean if Andre Gray is 6 million uh, how much is Charlie Austin worth it's oh obscene but um, I can't remember what the question was now we just talked about how unbelievable it was but <laughs> it's not left is there a bit of a danger that QPR have the, the dreaded new manager bounce with, with Hasselbank coming in? They, uh, they, they've underperformed, haven't they? They've seen their mid-table, they should be much better than that. Definitely, and I think um, an issue with QPR has you know, been for a while that they've signed a lot of players that are probably on the decline and, and you know players who signed for the wrong reason. I think he, so Joey Barton said himself that he signed for QPR for for one reason only and that's that was the money and um, I think when you get a squad of players who've all signed for that one reason um, you don't really get people who are you know that motivated by performances so um, it, it really does depend it, it could go either way you know it depends on on what Hasselbank's um, you know style is with the players um, but I'd imagine that that's a, a dressing room that takes quite a lot to get Pumped up. I think it's going to be fascinating. I think Alcibank did a very good job at Burton. I don't think it's necessarily a good move for him, but QPR have certainly got the potential to be one of the teams that makes a late break. Uh, Natalie, you're going to the Loftus Road at the weekend. Hopefully, you'll be able to see the pitch. Most of the seats in the away end, I don't think you can. <laughs> you must be hoping for a reaction to what was a pretty disappointing performance against Preston. Uh, most definitely, and I'll be, uh, you know, I, I made the trek to Cardiff and uh, a very late equaliser saved my day. I had to sit in the cold, wet rain on Saturday to get beat by our local rivals and then spend the night having dinner with a room full of Preston fans who just gave me grief for the entire night, which just destroyed me. So if I'm going to go all the way to QPR on Saturday and they don't perform well and they get beat, I am, I'm going to just knock on Deitch's door and I'm going to, he's going to get a full-on Brommers rant in his face. <laughs> and I'm not going to be scared oh, of him dear. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Slight disclaimer, I'm probably going to be too scared to do that. But in the safety of the podcast, I can be all brave and say, you're getting it, Deitch, if you don't want to sort it out for Saturday. Uh, I suppose we should do predictions then, although I'm... I'm wary after last week's farcical showing where we're all confident we're going to smash Preston and we ended up losing 2-0 um, Andre Gray Hattrick James yeah I'm going for uh, <laughs> I'm going for, for are you four. increasing the stake each week is that how it's working no I'm, I'm putting on less money than you are um, <laughs> I, I only did the five or one so I'm not going to do it again I, uh, I've well, learned my lesson I've, I've been putting like £2.50 on you know keeping it small but the odds yeah. were, you know, delicious, yeah. weren't they, at Cardiff? 66 to 1. I mean, that's irresistible. Um, I'm, I'm going to go for 4-3 to us. <laughs> Goal fest. Goal fest. Slightly different approach, because I think Andre Gray is going to score a hat-trick. And <laughs> also, also, Charlie Austin's going to score a hat-trick. Dueling hat-tricks. 
fighting over the match ball at the end of that one. Yeah. Uh, so I, and and the winner is going to be uh, Joey Barton. Joey Barton. He came close a couple of times on Saturday with. Yeah, he, he should have been better. Stage is set, isn't it? Stage is set now. He, he's yeah, missed sitters last week, and then goes to his old club. Said he only signed for the money. Bangs the winner in last five minutes. Gets some cash out of his pocket and waves him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just just the, you know, just the make it rain <laughs> celebration. That would be fantastic. Uh, prediction from you then, Natalie, and then we'll wrap up. Well, I'm going to try a little bit of reverse psychology. Oh. I have, I know, I've said this week uh, to because all the players people. listen to the podcast. Well, <laughs> maybe they should. Maybe we should send it to them. <laughs> so it's like mind games by Bromers. Come on, <laughs> let's get in that dressing room. Um, I've said this week that I do feel like sometimes I, I never put my bets on whatever my podcast prediction is because I think under pressure I just fire out some ridiculous score lines and plus if, if we all did that we'd all be bankrupt <laughs> that's very true um, so I'm going for reverse psychology and I'm going to say we're going to get absolutely battered it's going to be like 7-0 to QPR we're not going to get the ball Austin's going to score a double hat trick and probably Tom Eaton's going to throw the ball in the back of his net himself for the seventh and then we'll win so there we go me and Andre Gray hat trick yes. of own goals it is <laughs> Uh, well, that's an interesting. I don't think deliberate jinxes work, but we'll keep an eye on that. I'll certainly remind you of your prediction next week. Um, we lost Kevin midway through the, the podcast, by the way. If you're wondering why I've not asked him any questions, he was getting on his train and we gave up trying to get the connection to work. So we'll try and get Kevin back at some point. Um, if you do want to come on the podcast at some point, please do get in touch. By the way, our email address podcast at net. You can also get us on Twitter at net or Facebook which is Facebook slash Nevernet, as you'd expect. Um, thanks to our sponsors at Neville G. We couldn't do the podcast without them. But that's about all we've got time for. Hopefully it'll be a more positive and uplifting podcast this week. I know it's been a bit of a long old slog, so thanks if you've listened to the end of it. But that's all we've got time for. Thanks to James, Kevin and Natalie for joining me on the Non and Ever podcast this week. I've been Jamie Smith and we'll be back next week. Goodbye. Hello. Hello. Third eh? Hello. Can we all hear Jamie? each other? Hello. I think I... we've lost Jamie. I can hear you both. Can you not hear me? Jamie! Play rubbish and still win. Um, our luck was going to run out at some point and it, well, it has to. We will get you to um... the destination tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Kev. Hello. Um, sorry, I'll Hello, stop. I'm back. <laughs> really? <laughs> your, your train announcement, which was quite comical. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.